This is Joy in Crisis, a 13-week Bay City Church sermon series on the book of Philippians. To learn more about us, visit baycity.church. Today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, and specifically we're going to be looking at how we can learn to be content in all circumstances. Uh, If there's anything that we have needed in this past season, it's contentment, right? When so much has been lost, so much has been taken away, uh, so much we can't do, uh, now more than ever is in this time I've been convinced of my need for contentment and even how hard it is to be content in difficult circumstances. Maybe you feel the same. So that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. Let me begin by reading our Bible passage. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it. Uh, If you have a physical Bible or a Bible app uh, and head to Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 10. Paul, he is in the process of wrapping up his letter to the church at Philippi, and he's talking to a group of people that have cared for him when very few other people did. And so he writes Philippians 4.10. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. You have had no opportunity, had had no opportunity. Now that I'm, not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. What is Paul saying here? In short, he's thanking the Philippian church for their concern for him. Paul, he was writing his letter from prison in Rome. He was in the middle of his own very severe hardship, but he is expressing his gratefulness for the Philippians and therefore their concern for him. But but he doesn't want to get them the wrong idea. He's he's not doing like a bait and switch. He's not saying, I'm so glad you were concerned. Here's how you can help me. Instead, Paul, who's in prison, wants to give them the gift that he has received, the gift of contentment. Whether things are great or terrible, whether he is in prison or free, whether there is pandemic or prosperity, whether there is protest or peace, Paul offers a gift to the Philippians, and in turn, a gift to us, contentment. Now, contentment might be an undervalued gift, right? Contentment is like the socks and underwear of gifts from God. Uh, Not many people are putting contentment on the top of their list of things they would like God to give them. You know, we might pray, Lord, give me a spouse. Lord, give me some money. Lord, help my sick Aunt Sally. All of those, good prayers, right? But they're different than, Lord, give me contentment. My guess is that for most of us, contentment isn't something we are asking God for very often. Usually we're asking God to change our circumstances, not to help us be satisfied and content in the midst of them, which is what contentment is, right? It's satisfaction in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they may be. Now, if you're like me, there might be bubbling up in you a bit of an objection right now, a little discomfort even at this kind of idea of contentment. Because aren't there some things that we, should be, we shouldn't be content about? Aren't there some things that we should be frustrated by? Aren't there some things that should lead to, as one author calls it, a holy discontent? Absolutely. God calls us as his people to be salt and light in this world, raging against the rot and the darkness. If we see injustice, we shouldn't be satisfied. If we see things that could be improved for the good of our neighbor, we shouldn't be unconcerned with that. If we see things in our own lives or hearts that aren't right, we shouldn't be happy with the status quo. We live in a broken world 
and we have a responsibility before God to be working with him on putting this broken world back together in small ways and in big ways. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when he preached on this specific text, he differentiated between the godly call to contentment and to something that God doesn't call us to, complacency. We aren't supposed to be complacent, but we are supposed to be content. And there's a difference between those two things. And so no, when we discuss contentment today, we aren't saying that you shouldn't fight for things to be better in your life or in our world. Uh, there is a difference between complacency and contentment. I would even go so far as to argue that godly contentment will fuel and drive change. It will lead to sustainable action, not inaction, and complacency. But the question remains, how can we know the difference? How can we learn to be content in the midst of our circumstances? And so today I have four keys for contentment in our lives that we can develop as Christians. First, we must differentiate between our wants and our needs. We must differentiate between our wants and our needs. This is a very simple kind of wisdom. When we feel a lack of contentment, we need to first take the time to determine if what we are feeling stems from something that we want or from something that we need. Every person has some basic needs, right? We need physical sustenance like food and water. We need physical safety and shelter. We have social and relational needs for community. We have a need for purpose and significance. Uh, I would also argue that we have a need for something uh, bigger than that. We have a need for worship. We have a need for transcendence. We need God. These are all basic needs that humans have and that God designed for us to have in order to flourish as people. And then we have this other category of things, our wants, those things that we don't need, but that we might feel would improve our lives quite a bit. Maybe we want to get married. Maybe we want a better job. Maybe we want a nicer apartment or a new iPhone. There are many things that we want, unlimited amount of things we want. And our wants, they're not inherently bad. They do become problematic though when we confuse them with something that we need. Does that make sense? Uh, a want might be okay if it honors God, if it's aligned with his desires for you and for your neighbor, but it becomes a problem when we confuse that want with a need. Because when we confuse those two things, a want and a need, we begin to become frustrated. We become entitled. Something we think that we are owed, something that we think we need, we don't have. And then an unhealthy frustration can be born. And discontent begins to reign in our lives. And we might obsess over the things we don't have. We might even begin to feel justified if we cut some corners or even if we sin in order to get that thing that we think we need. And there are two areas that I see this all the time uh, in my own life and in my relationships. And I want to call them the want of house and spouse. Uh, easy to remember, right? Want of house and spouse. Uh, if you're single, many people have a very strong want and desire for a spouse, for a partner, someone to share life with. But often that really legitimate need or want can, be, can bleed over and morph into something that we treat as a, as a need that we absolutely have to have met. We think we need a spouse or we won't be happy. Uh, if we don't get married, we're going to fall behind in some kind of imaginary life stage race that we're racing with our peers against. If we don't find a spouse, we start to believe that maybe we'll never be complete as a person. And so we're tempted to take shortcuts, to date outside of God's standards, to find gratif gratification in things and in relationships that don't honor God. Because we have confused a want and a need. And we've justified maybe our actions because God hasn't yet provided something we're entitled to. Others of us, myself definitely included, we really want to buy a house. 
We want the security and the consistency of ownership. Uh, we don't want to fear our landlord selling the house or raising our rent and us being forced to move. We want to have the financial benefits of earning equity and not just feeling like we're flushing our rent uh, away every month. And if you're a Christian, you've probably even been discipled by financial teachers, people like Dave Ramsey and others that make owning a home one of the basic building blocks of good financial stewardship of God's resources. And so if you hear these things, you start to believe that if you don't own a home, you're not being wise with your money. And you're never going to be secure. And again, we imagine ourselves falling behind in this, this some kind of imaginary social race. And so we start to think things like, oh, we must move away from a place like San Francisco to a more affordable location so we can finally get the house that we need. The want of spouse and house. Probably two of the biggest struggles many of us will face in our lives as disciples of Jesus in the Bay Area. But if we're to live faithfully for Jesus in this city and in this region, we cannot let those legitimate wants be confused for things that we absolutely need or things that we're entitled to. If we do this, we run the risk of missing out on something greater that God promises us. Obviously, we have legitimate needs for being known by others, for being uh, in community. We have legitimate needs for security and stability. But God doesn't always meet those legitimate needs through houses and spouses. Sometimes our need for community is met through a close group of friends or a small group of people who care for one another in a, in a covenant, or who spend holidays together, or a family that invites singles in to live with them and to be a part of their bubble. Sometimes our need for security and stability, they, they don't find themselves being met in home ownership or in a, having a geographic place of your own, but in knowing you have a people who will fight for you to stay here, who need you and who you need. And sometimes we also just need to be reminded that in Christ, we already have a secure eternal home. One that thieves can't break into and steal from. One that can't be damaged by by rust or moth. Uh, Our our treasure and our homes are in heaven. And those homes are more stable and secure than the homes of this world. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. At least I do. We have wants, but we cannot let them be confused with needs. And we cannot compromise our morals and our purpose to settle for lesser gifts. Friends, God will meet all of your needs. But he's going to do it in his time, which is often different than our own. And he's going to do it in his way, which is often different than the way we would want him to do it in. Second key to developing contentment is that we must differentiate between what we can control and what we cannot control. We must differentiate between what we can control and what we cannot control. We're all probably familiar with the serenity prayer. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, It's often used in recovery organizations like AA or in other 12-step programs. And its popular version goes like this. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, this prayer is not a prayer from the Bible, even though it's a very good prayer. Uh, It was originally written by an American theologian and kind of public intellectual guy named Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, Niebuhr was very influential. He was published in newspapers. He was well known in his day. And he wrote this prayer in a really tumultuous season. Uh, It was the late 1930s and the early 1940s, and Niebuhr, he was an American, uh, but his parents had immigrated from Germany, and he was very connected to the German church. And and so what was going on in the late 1930s and 1940s, what was happening? World War II. And and Niebuhr, he uh, he was really stressed, and he was, along with many other people, he was concerned about the war. He opposed the Nazis. Uh, but he struggled to figure out how the U.S. government or the U.S. church and even his friends in the German church should respond. Uh, 
Should they join the war effort, even if that meant violence? Even if that meant uh, that they might go against something they, they might think if they were pacifists? Should they oppose the Nazis, but peacefully? Should, they, should German Christians, should they flee Germany? Or should they stay and should they fight against Hitler? Many of his friends and his fellow pastors had different responses. And it was a really crazy, complicated time. And it's no surprise to me that this prayer was born out of that kind of time. And that it resonated with so many people at that moment. And it's like Niebuhr, he's praying in this complicated time. And, and, and there's some things that he sees as he prays that he knows he's going to need to change. And, and there's some things that he, he, he knows he can't control at the same time. And so he has to practice contentment in the midst of. But what's what? Which is which? And so I love this. He ends his prayer with a request for wisdom from God. Here is an earlier version of his prayer. And I want you to hear it in light of today's circumstances and events. Father, Give us the courage to change what must be altered, serenity to accept what cannot be helped, and the insight to know the one from the other. You know, I know, we also live in a complicated, tumultuous time. And we're going to go crazy if we don't recognize that there are some things that we can control, some things that we're responsible to try to change, but that we can't change or control everything. Some things are too big for us or they require hearts to be changed, or they're gonna take a long time. We can and we should protest racism, right? We can work for more equitable laws, for reform in our criminal justice system, for the way that the police uh, operate in our society, but only God can stamp out racism in our hearts and in the hearts of our friends and our family. Uh, we can practice social distancing, we can wear masks when it's wise, we can look out for the safety of ourselves and of our neighbors, and we can work for a vaccine. We can think about strategies to minimize health risks, and, and together all of this matters greatly. But only God has a solution for death, whether by COVID-19 or anything else. Only He can offer resurrection and eternal life. And so we fight and we work, but we also Sabbath and we rest. We try to work hard and we try to sleep well, to know what we can affect and what we cannot. And we strive to be content in all circumstances, knowing that God is ultimately in control and we are not. The third key that we have uh, to develop um, um, contentment in our lives, uh, number three, is that we must differentiate between what God promises and what God doesn't. We must differentiate between what God promises and what God doesn't. Now we're really beginning to dial into uh, uniquely kind of Christian contentment, uh, as opposed to just developing contentment in general. Even if you don't believe in God or, even, or if you're not a Christian, you can still differentiate between wants and needs. You can still differentiate between what you can control and what you can't. But this key requires a faith in God and a dependence upon His Word, more than a dependence upon our own feelings or even our own wisdom. This key is a uniquely Christian kind of contentment that comes when you know and understand what God has promised us in the scriptures and what he hasn't. Uh, this text in Philippians 4, it's, it's really interesting because it contains this passage that's used uh, all the time, often inappropriately by Christians. Uh, it's verse 13 where Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe you've seen this on uh, coffee mugs or inspirational posters. It's a very nice, encouraging verse. Uh, but, but it's not true when it's used in situations God didn't intend it to be used in. So, for instance, if I was to go to the gym and sit down at the bench press, put on 400 pounds, uh, especially since I haven't bench pressed anything in a decade, I, I can't just think to myself, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me, and, and just lift that weight, right? 
I, I can't go out in a field and uh, run as fast as I can and put my arms out and think, I'm going to fly like a bird. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not going to happen because I'm not using that verse in the way that God designed it to be used. Uh, if you read the context of this passage that we've been studying today, that verse comes right after Paul says this. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is talking about here God giving him the capacity to face hardship. He's not giving us a promise that anything we dream up is going to magically be possible because we have a magic lantern God that grants us our wishes and our wants. And here's the truth. And it's better than the false ways that we use this verse. You can endure everything that God wills for your life and promises you through the strength he gives you in Christ. And sometimes, often more than we would like, that's the strength to endure hardship. Like Paul, for instance, he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, this is what he says. He says that God gave him strength to do all kinds of things. For instance, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So yes, you can do all things through him who gives you strength, but they might not all be things you want. And they might not all be things you're excited about. Often we're afraid of hard times because we aren't sure how we're going to get through them. But I want you to be encouraged and know this, that you can get through this season and any season that God allows in your life because of the strength that he provides in Christ Jesus. That is the promise of this text. It's deeper than superficial promises to do impossible things. Now, we're going to return to this verse in a few minutes, but I also want you to know this text shouldn't just be heard as sort of a negative text. There's a real positive to it as well. Paul, he talks about enduring hardship, but he also talks about enjoying abundance. And so I want to share with you some promises from the Bible, some things that we can know for certain from the scriptures. We have all kinds of wonderful promises in scripture. I want to read six or seven for you. This is Isaiah 41.10. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Romans 8.28, one of my favorites. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
I love this thing Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. 25. He says to a woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And lastly, Revelation three twenty. Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. All of these, all of these promises God will always deliver on. He is 100% reliable on what he promises us. We can always trust him to do what he promises. We just can't put promises in his mouth. And we need to listen to his promises and not try to force our desires into, into his mouth or onto him. Lastly, and this is the most uh, important key to contentment, our fourth and final one, it's that we must find our contentment in Christ. We must find our contentment in Christ. When Paul writes in this passage and he says that we can do all things through him who gives us strength, someone is being referenced, right? And that someone is Jesus. Jesus Christ is who Paul relies on for his strength. It's who Paul looks to for his contentment. And I would guess for each of us, we have um, people and things that we look to to make us happy, to make us satisfied, to help us feel content. Uh, it might be a drink at the end of the day, uh, maybe a friend you can reach out to, maybe it's knowing you have money in the bank account. It could be any number of things that we go to for happiness, for satisfaction, for contentment. Some healthy, some not so healthy. But really this gets at the crux of the Christian faith. Who do you look to for strength? In whom do you place your faith and trust? Is it in Christ or is it in something or someone else or is it in yourself? I, th I think one of the major benefits of this strange year and this crazy season has been that so many of us are so much more aware of how fragile and unstable some of the things we once put our trust in are. You know, I think personally, things I put my confidence in that don't exist anymore that no longer give me confidence. Maybe you, did you feel confident in your job? Did you feel confident in the economy? Did you feel confident in our government or even the global health organizations like the WHO? Or how about your own wisdom? Do you know what's going on with COVID-19? Do you know how it spreads? Do you know what we should do to prevent it and eradicate it in our society? Do you know how to fix a country with 400 years of intractable racism? How many times have you had to say, I don't know, or who knows? in the past few months. Well, I wanna to say today there is someone who does know. There is someone who is capable and reliable. There is someone who will one day put back together everything that is broken. There is someone who can forgive sin. There is someone who can reconcile us back to God and to one another. There is someone who can see, heal the sick and raise the dead. And his name is Jesus. And just like Paul, we can either choose to trust in him and put our, our hope in him, or we can put our hope in something or something else that will fail us. Now, friends, I want you to know, you can definitely find a kind of contentment without Jesus, but you can't find lasting contentment apart from him. And you can find a kind of happiness apart from Jesus, but you will not find unshakable joy in crisis without him. Today, I wanna extend an invitation to you uh, as we wrap up, for you to find your hope, your satisfaction, your happiness, and your contentment in Jesus Christ, for you to put your faith in him for the very first time or to recommit yourself to him today. 
And in a moment, we're going to have a time uh, to take communion. And so if you need to pause the video right now and go grab some bread or some juice or some liquid of some kind to get ready for that, feel free to do that. And I want us to take this moment to remember the death of Jesus, to remember his body that was broken for you, his blood that was poured out on your behalf, and that, so that we might see him as the source of our contentment first, that we might lay down those other lesser things we run to and put our trust in, and that we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone, in Jesus Christ first and foremost. So let's pray.